At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go and tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophets can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and, the, and stone those who sent, those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. As we sit, let us pray. Loving, mothering God, we pray that as we reflect on our reading today, you will inspire our hearts and our minds, fill us with your love, and strengthen us to respond by sharing that love with others. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is the fourth Sunday of Lent, sometimes known as Refreshment Sunday, marking the halfway point between Ash Wednesday and Easter. I think when I first started coming to this church, we regularly had a, a mid-Lent party, Mikarem, the French do it better than us, and on the Saturday night before Mothering Sunday, there'd always be a party. We'd heave a sigh of relief after three weeks of observing rent, Lent, uh, have a bit of a party, and then get back to focusing on Lent for the next three weeks. And, of course, it's Mothering Sunday, a day of celebration for many, but as Jago said, also a difficult day for many others. And there'll be some people who will have stayed away from church today because it's too painful a day to come. In our Gospel reading this morning, we're continuing the series of readings from uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, over the past two weeks, Rosie, Skinner, and Jago have been looking at the earlier verses in chapter 13. Jesus is teaching and healing and facing controversy with his critics as he journeys towards Jerusalem and the death he knows he has to face. Last week, Jago was talking about the kingdom of heaven and uh, Jesus had talked about the narrow gate and having to find our way in. We have to choose our way into the kingdom of heaven. And today we heard that some Pharisees, who may have been sympathetic to Jesus, though it's more likely that they just wanted him out of their territory, warn him that Herod wants to kill him. Jesus' response is quite sharp, describing Herod as a fox which is very appropriate in the light of his slaughter of all the babies in Bethlehem after Jesus was born and the more recent beheading of John the Baptist. And Jesus goes on to tell them that he's got work to do, casting out demons and performing cures. And in saying this, he's making it clear 
that Herod is not going to be able to stop him from doing that. And then, on the third day, the day after the first and the second days, he'll be heading to Jerusalem, where he knows he will be killed. And these three days echo the story early in Luke, when Jesus as a boy was lost in Jerusalem, and his parents, you remember, find him on the third day. And they point ahead, of course, to the end of the story, when Jesus will rise on the third day. But the main point of these two verses is to show that Jesus is not leaving Galilee because he's afraid of Herod, but because he's following a divinely inspired plan to die in Jerusalem. Herod is too insignificant to have any influence on that. And Jesus has some strong words to say about Jerusalem too. It's a city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. One of the commentaries on this passage talks about Jesus' stern words. And the commentator reminds us that Jesus loves Jerusalem. Sometimes we need to be tough, even with those we love, or particularly with those we love. And we need to stand up and speak out about injustice. And the love that Jesus has for Jerusalem is demonstrated by the image he uses of Herod as a predatory fox. Jesus says that he has often longed to gather the people of Jerusalem to protect them, just as a hen gathers her brood of chicks to protect them in times of danger. This image of the mother hen protecting her chicks is a perfect example of self-sacrifice. Now, I didn't know until I read Tom Wright's commentary on this passage a few years ago, but apparently a hen will gather her chicks in this way to protect them, even in a fire when she may be burned to death but the chicks can survive if the fire doesn't completely engulf them. And he writes that our stories of exactly this. After a farmyard fire, those cleaning up have found a dead hen, scorched and blackened, but with live chicks sheltering under her wings. She has quite literally given her life to save them. So this is a vivid and violent image of what Jesus declared he longed to do for Jerusalem and by implication for all Israel. But at the moment, all he could see was chicks scurrying off in the opposite direction, taking no notice of the smoke and the flames indicating the approach of danger, nor of the urgent warnings of the one who alone could give them safety. Another commentator says that by likening himself to a mother hen, Jesus reveals that his response is not rejection, but an agonizing, an anguished yearning for the children of Jerusalem. So in a gospel reading, which may at first sight have seemed to have little to do with Mothering Sunday, we find a perfect image of what mothers so often feel and try to do loving their children, feeling anguish when they take risks or run into danger, trying to protect them from the dangers they may not be aware of. And 
In fact, these words are reflected in our Eucharistic prayer. When we get to uh, page six in our service sheets, you'll see, um, as a mother tenderly gathers her children, you embraced a people as your own. When they turned away and rebelled, your love remained steadfast. God's love, as seen in Jesus Christ, is total and deep and overwhelming. This passage shows the depth of Jesus' love for us. He knows when we are sad or in pain, grieving for a loved one or for the agonies in our world. And today we know there will be women grieving because they've lost a child or can't have a child. People who are grieving because they've lost their mothers. Jesus knows that pain. He's entered into our human lives and he longs to protect us. All we have to do is to respond to his love and run to shelter under his wings. And today's passage is also very appropriate for Lent as we reach the halfway point on our journey towards Good Friday and Easter. How's your Lent going? Have you managed to take some, make some kind of difference to your daily routine over the past three and a half weeks? Maybe you've been reading a, a special book for Lent or coming to the Lent Discipleship course on Wednesday evenings and reflecting on that. Maybe you're making extra efforts to have a daily time of Bible reading and prayer. <clears throat> it is so restorative to take time out, if possible every day, but to take time out to be aware of God's presence with us. It can be hard to do that when life is busy. It, they, we need to make an effort to do it. I've been fortunate to be able to get out of London twice already this Lent, and that's one of the ways that I can leave the busyness on one side and come closer to God. On Ash Wednesday, I went away for five days for a mountain retreat on my own. It was a real blessing. I took a good book. I had some time for skiing, but it was being on my own in the mountains aware of the beauty so different from our normal environment and the book was about a young Dutch Jewish woman Etty Hillerson who like Jesus went to her death knowing that that was what she had to face like Jesus she loved even her enemies and when she witnessed the vile and violent behaviour of the Nazi soldiers and others towards the Jewish people, she still refused to hate. She tried to look into each person as an individual, looking beyond their actions and loving them. She was conscious that things that had happened to them would have affected the way they behaved. And it was the loving rather than the hating that enabled her to keep going. Many Jewish people 
felt they could survive only by working on the hatred and feeling like they wanted to fight back. But Etty took on a more Christ-like approach. And her loving was also there for the people she worked alongside. She was like a mother hen to many of the people that she supported in the dreadful camps in which she lived, both in Holland and then in Auschwitz. The subtitle of the book is A Life Transformed, and it's an amazing story based on the daily diary that she kept over two years and letters sent to friends, and it's put together by a man called Patrick Woodhouse, who's a former canon at Wells Cathedral, who's kind of immersed himself on all the texts about her and written this beautiful book. She was born to secular Jewish parents, so had no concept really of God. And initially, through meetings with a Jungian therapist, she started to to develop a deep spirituality. And that's how she found faith in God. She never belonged to a church, but her faith was deeply Christian. She lived and died at a time of mass violence. And her diaries and letters are an extended reflection on what it means to be fully human in the midst of violence and the temptations of violence. She looks beyond the violence of her time to a new world. A time today of fear of terrorism and mass violence in response to fear. Many of the people who carry knives today do so because they're afraid. The initial reason for having a knife is because you're frightened of what might happen to you, not that you intend to go out and stab someone. But this whole culture of violence around us means that this book about Etty is actually very contemporary. It's full of hope. And in the midst of recording horrible events of the early 1940s in Europe, this, what Etty stood for, is like a star, a light shining uh, in the darkness. She really seemed to me to be able to reflect the Christ-like approach in a way I haven't read of such a good example for many years. So apart from my mountain retreat, I also went last week to the Isle of Wight. Two days, time to walk in the countryside and by the sea. But if you can't get away, just in this spring weather, walking on the common and opening our eyes to the beauty of creation here in the midst of the city can help us to be in touch with our creator. And why? Why bother? Why not just carry on as normal? Get on with your daily working life, come to church on Sunday, plug into the battery to recharge your batteries and go off again for the rest of the week. But no, it's every day we need to be doing that. We need the power of the love of God in us and we need therefore to spend time thinking about that and what it means for us. And Lent is a particularly good time to do that. It's also a time of preparation for the remembering of Christ's death and resurrection in Holy Week. And it's a time 
because it's limited to only six weeks, when we can try to focus on our spiritual lives, reflecting on our relationship with God as we find him in Jesus. And there are still three weeks left in which we can strengthen our resolve to do that. We don't have to say, oh, I haven't managed it, not doing that this year. No, the halfway point is a good moment to say, hmm, maybe I haven't done quite as well as I would have liked so far, but let's see if I can do a bit better in the second half of Lent. It may be your passion at the moment or your fear and your concern is about the damage that we're doing to our environment. Lent can be a good time to reflect on how you can restrict the amount of energy you use, the amount of things you consume. There's a, <clears throat> if you're on Facebook, there's a very good page called Plastic List Lent. And as a hint, regularly coming across as to how you can use less plastic, where you can go, head down Battersea Rise with a big carton of your own rather than buying things in, in plastic pots and you'll be able to pick up from uh, a shop at the bottom of Battersea Rise on the right there a bulk purchase of using your own reusable containers. Little hints like that. God gave us this beautiful environment. We must not destroy it. Back to our reading. Jesus' treatment of his adversaries shows us what it means to love our enemies. In the Gospels, his commitment to loving confrontation leads inexorably to the cross. At Calvary, on Good Friday, Jesus shows us the depth of his love by praying once again for those who have condemned and crucified him. He does not respond to violence with violence or hatred, but with loving and peaceful acceptance. And what he offers us is promise and hope. His words and actions invite us to believe, even in the times of mindless violence and in the face of uncertainty of our nature's, nation's political future, or fear of the effects of climate change and the destruction of the environment. Whatever it is that may be cluttering your mind at the moment, Jesus can take that away. If we believe that it is the way of the cross that alone leads to fullness of life, because it is there that we see perfect love. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we can shelter under the shadow of your wings. And we pray that as we seek out that safe space, we may find your love and your peace 
flooding our hearts and our minds throughout the coming weeks. Amen.